The musician and writer Damon Krakowski recently wrote about some rummaging he'd been doing in the gubbins of Spotify to better understand how the streaming service pays artists. Musicians and composers on Twitter, too, periodically ask, fairly rhetorically, fairly angrily, the same sort of questions. Why does my small but perfectly formed streaming fanbase add up to so little income? The answer is complicated and involves terms like pro rata and user-centric, but also unfair and fake and pie. At least it did when I asked Culture Files regular tech soothsayer Professor Ashlyn Kelleher to help me understand. When we think of streaming services and the new world of, of music supply, we think that when we play a song on the internet nicely and happily, a share of money to pay for that stream is going to the artist. But in fact, the models of the streaming companies are a little bit more complicated than that. A little bit more complicated. I think um, I'll use an analogy of a pie to get through this. For example, Spotify, they use a, a type of model called pro rata. So that basically means that you get a fraction of the pie and there's only one pie. So there's one pie that covers everything that has been streamed that month for example. And so then they look at, okay, so Ariana Grande got 150 million streams and Drake got X and, you know, so-and-so got Y. And you got maybe, you know, 50 streams. So you're like, okay, that's great. I should get, you know, the equivalent of what, you know, 50 listens is. But unfortunately, that your, your 50 is translated into is a teeny, tiny, tiny minuscule fraction of that same pie. And somebody who has the most listens, if 30% of the people listen to Drake, he gets 30% of that pie. And it gets really, really small as we go down to the under, other 100,000 people on it. My understanding was that when I listen to, you know, if, if like if there's an artist who gets 10,000 streams, I'm like, they make him a pie worth that. And he gets his own <laughs> nice pie all to himself. And so I was like very feel misled um, to really like hammer home my pie analogy here about the types of pies that Spotify was making for artists. This other type of pie is the user-centric pie. That's what they're calling that, isn't it? And and, and that's not... Uh, I mean, to explain that to us a little bit, what's what would be that ideal little pie? Well, that pie, this authentic, homemade... <laughs> Artisanal. <laughs> artisan, artisan pie. But basically the idea with this is that it's very much kind of like fan-driven. If somebody listens to it to you, you get whatever that fan is using to kind of monetarily access the feed. So if the fan is a subscriber, if the fan is using the ad-driven model for that particular stream, you get that portion of that fan's input, uh, kind of financial input to Spotify. That seems very fair, right? You're kind of, the, mon the money is kind of moving exactly from me to Spotify, to the artist. And I like that's the kind of model. I, I don't like the idea of, you know, we're all just paying into this kind of massive group pot that is then divvied up where there are some really big fractions and there are some really, really, really tiny fractions. And to prove that that is slightly a dodgy approach, somebody has found the way to game that particular slightly crazy system. The Robin Hood of Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the Robin Hood of Spotify? He's a Dutch DJ, Steve Voigt, and he's certainly the Robin Hood. And he's kind of hit upon this very clever idea of creating something that has become very popular and even more so during the pandemic, of creating ambient kind of sleep music to help you sleep at nighttime. These snippets, maybe about 30, 31 seconds total, which is the minimum that you're allowed to put up on Spotify and still monetize. And what he has done and why all of a sudden is now, you know, gaining more listenerships, like 50 million a week, which is an equivalent to somebody like Lady Gaga. 
how is, how is this possibly happening? Well, he claims to have spent, through his company in marketing, an eight-figure sum. The thing that's happened there, of course, is like when we're talking about marketing, we are talking about the new world of marketing. He's not putting up billboards on the side of the motorway. No, I'm sure there's all sorts of, you know, using social media, using all sorts of digital uh, tricks on your cell phone as well, bots even, uh, farming this out to many, many uh, bots to create kind of uh, false or fraudulent clicks, anything to get those numbers up. And that actually makes sense in this case because of the way Spotify is set up, because of the way it shares out its money. It makes financial sense to buy clicks, buy streams on your own songs and via that, you will actually earn money from Spotify. Absolutely. And especially if you have the capital up front in a recent report that the British government drew up in response to the hashtag broken record um, kind of campaign that's been running, which is really trying to interrogate and look at, at the unfairness uh, of these um, streaming uh, financial models and incentives, where the slice of the pie that's left for people who don't get millions of clicks a day is, is just not worth it. So in that report, one of the um, former uh, kind of top executives of Spotify, kind of in a bit of a throwaway remark, talks about that, oh, it would be very hard to administer and the computer processing power it would take, you know, to do all, you know, kind of keep track of this on an individual level is just too much, which, you know, that's kind of seems a bit like a red herring. They just don't want to do that because they still make the same amount of money. So I think it's really up to artists, like you said, with this these broken record campaigns and others to try and get regulators and legislators to create a more level playing field. It happened in 1991 that this was sort of reformed in the old-fashioned world of radios and, and bricks and mortar stores to try and kind of sort out what was going wrong then. Huge record labels and huge artists were obviously going to get um, more promotion and people suggest that they were selling more and it wasn't necessarily true and all of that was to the detriment of uh, smaller artists and, and probably of music in general. Yes, but not even only smaller artists, but genres that wouldn't typically weren't being counted. So this was very pop, or, you know, the billboards were very pop oriented at the time. So things like metal music, heavy metal, even country music stars weren't seeing themselves up there because they were considered niche or genre or weren't worthy of being pushed for radio play. So I think we did see a change in, in, in 91. And I think this is where the broken record campaign is really pushing forward that if I, as a fan, sit and listen, you know, or stream an album by an artist, that that revenue should go directly to them. Are there any streaming services which are looking at this and trying to do, to work with a user-centric model? I mean, SoundCloud, I suppose, are, are doing better. Well, no, SoundCloud are experimenting, but I don't know if they're going to change. So for example, in July of earlier this year, they did uh, an experiment with the group Portishead, where they flipped over from, uh, Portishead have a cover of ABBA's song SOS, and they put that up on SoundCloud using a, the different model, using the user-centric model where every fan that would listen to it, that money would go directly to Portishead. And in this case, Portishead were donating all the proceeds to charity. What they saw over the course of a month, within a month, Portishead had, compared to how the song had done previously, made almost six times the previous revenue. It's almost as if the vast unaccountable power of the tech platforms isn't making the world a better place, Ashling. Don't say that, Luke. You, you just you just can't say that. I didn't get into my closet to hear stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> right? There's a positivity, please. <laughs> Professor Ashlyn Kelleher there, yes, from her closet in Studio City. And you can read more on streaming money on Damon Krakowski's Substack, Dada Drummer Almanac.